Streams Windsor, Ascot, Ascot, Maidenhead, Bracknell, Wokingham, Henley, Reading. The voice River Radio of the Thames Valley. Welcome everyone to this show, Let's Do Lunch with me, Jenny Tishi. I'm your host and this is a show all about food and nutrition. And today I'm joined by someone very local. Janie Turner is a cookbook author and a Thermomix expert. She runs cooking classes, develops recipes and delivers online demonstrations for both Thermomix and Arga. She's also a motivational speaker. Welcome, Janie. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks, Jenny, and thanks for inviting me. Oh, thank you for coming into the studio. I was just saying before we went live, it's lovely to have someone with me in the studio because quite often I have guests via Zoom, so really exciting. Now, we've got history, um, but let's share a little bit about who you are with the listeners. So before you started working in the world of food, you trained as a nurse specialising in cardiology in Vancouver, in case anybody's wondering about the very slight accent that you have left after all these years in the UK. You subsequently trained as a midwife here in England and have been responsible for training nine puppies as a volunteer for guide dogs for the blind. Such a breadth of experience and, I know, a range of knowledge. So to what extent have your previous roles influenced what you do within the world of food? Well, I think it took me until I was probably about 38 or so before I actually realized that everything I had done in my life involved teaching. Uh Uh-huh. A late bloomer or a late realization, perhaps. No, just a late realization because I I taught swimming to kids when Mm. I was a teenager. Um, I um, teach and encourage. I love encouraging and inspiring people Mm. to do their best, be their best, eat their best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and now to nourish themselves. And I didn't realize when I was um, a young child that actually I would get into food and cooking, mm-hmm. but I always enjoyed it from then. Yeah, so the teaching, so you, you've said at 38 you realized, but what would be, would you say either directly or indirectly was your first teaching role? Probably when I was um, that YMCA youth leader Mm. um, working with kids of all ages teaching swimming I taught swimming for eight years and um, and uh, probably about five of those years was with children with various handicaps and that was really fun yeah I had no idea when I met a mom one morning for instance who came to pick up her little girl and I said oh she walked six steps today and her mom just looked at me went completely white and burst into tears, and I thought I'd said something terribly awful. And her daughter was six and had never walked unaided. I didn't know what that meant until I was a mum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many, many years later. But um, I learned so much, and I learned how, um, 
you have to break things down into really tiny steps to help people understand. Yeah, and I think the thing about teaching, and it's funny, I was saying I hadn't made that connection between you and I, but a very similar thing. All the careers teachers at school said, you're going to be a P teacher. And I was like, well, I don't want to be that. Actually, I'm a teacher and I love sport. So I guess that's why they kind of came up with that. But it, yeah. but it is interesting, isn't it? And to your point, when you have um, a range of different people, you might want to teach them the same amount of stuff or the same thing but everyone has a different starting point and that's part of the skill isn't yes. it in yes. understanding that yeah so how does that translate today to what you do with food uh, are there things that you've brought with you from you know teaching swimming and you know some of the work you've done with the guide dogs for example that that you can then use in your in your role today Absolutely. Because um, as I said, you can break things down into really tiny steps. Mm. You meet people where you are with the puppies, for instance. Yeah. You, um, you take them with how they're feeling that day, that moment, and you work with them and encourage them and um, try to always be positive. And if they're being naughty or negative or disobedient, then you distract them. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> and one of the things that I find with, uh, with people and food is often they haven't got a clue or they might know quite a lot about baking and nothing about um, how to make that baking nourishing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's really fascinating. And so I'm very interested in people. I love to ask them questions and find out where they are so that I can meet them there. Yeah. And we can take one or two small steps from there that day. Mm. And I can say from personal experience, you're great at doing that. Um, <laughs> can I take you back a little bit to, to your childhood? Uh, you grew up in Vancouver? Yes, grew up in Vancouver. What were your childhood food memories? Um, spaghetti sauce on Thursday because mum was a brownie leader. Um, and uh, um, so it was always pasta then. We always had a roast something on Sunday and my grandparents over for dinner and uh, on Tuesday, we had the leftover roast chopped up and made into some sort of a stew. Um, there was minced beef cooked in a Scottish mince uh-huh. with uh, boiled potatoes and peas for one of the dinners. Everything was the same, and Mum was very busy. She didn't really love cooking. She knew she had to do it, and mm. everything was homemade. Mm. Um, I didn't realise until much, much later how lucky I was to have all that good homemade food. Mm. And lots of it was good, very good quality, but it was only maybe mm, in my early 30s, actually, that I started understanding, no, maybe my 20s, I started understanding things about whole foods and and whole grains and then later on learning how to prepare them properly. Yeah. And uh, and so gradually just adding more and more to my repertoire. Mm. It's really lovely, though, that your mom did do a thing that I guess you yeah. said it was through need, more well, necessity, really, that she had to kind of everybody did cook from scratch because you didn't yeah. have all those sort of ready meals and fast food and things yeah. available then. Yeah. Um, but, but there wasn't the passion, perhaps, that you had have uh where do you think your passion for food has come along from I actually don't know all Mm. four of us um I have two brothers and a sister all four of us have ended up being really good cooks and I think it was because mum was very happy to welcome us into the kitchen anytime we wanted to help or do something please take over yes (laughs) that's wonderful so that encouragement Mm. was great and I just loved experimenting I loved trying new recipes all the time so I was always cooking something different every single time 
That's wonderful. So your mum thought she was making you really independent, but actually, yep. <laughs> it yep. turned out you were pretty good at cooking and then she could just <laughs> retire from the kitchen. Yep. <laughs> so, um, and you and I met quite a long time, well, I say quite a long time. We're talking, gosh, it's probably nearly, I think it's like 17 or 16 years ago now, yeah. which is quite yeah. a long time, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and it's through our connection with one particular kitchen appliance. And I know some people, when I talk about kitchen appliances, they sort of think, oh, eyes glaze over. It's just an appliance. Um, but we're talking about the thermomix. And I know if you do know what a thermomix is, you might not have your eyes glazing over and saying, oh, just an appliance. So how did your own thermomix journey start? Um, it was prior to mine even, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah, yeah. tell me a little bit about how that, that connection was made. Well, back in 2001, I took my Vorwerk vacuum cleaner, and Vorwerk is the manufacturer of mm-hmm. thermomix as well, um, to... Um, a local place for Mm -hmm. a service. Right. It had done 14 years of vacuuming and I couldn't bear to see it die. I'd tried a couple of other ones that weren't nearly as good. Mm. And I was invited to wait while it was serviced. And there was a picture behind my head in the reception that had this white machine with lots of lovely looking food around it. And eventually I noticed that it said Vorwerk on the bottom of this machine. Mm -hmm. And I looked at the lady behind the reception desk and said, if that's made by Vorwerk, and you only make vacuum cleaners, what is that? Mm. And she said, oh, it's a Thermomix. It's a food processor that cooks. You really ought to have a demonstration. Oh, wow. And so (laughs) a lady walked in who was a demonstrator at the time, an advisor, they call them now, and and she came to my house and showed me, and I fell in love with it. Mm, Interesting, because, I mean, obviously you'd never heard of that then. You didn't even know the company that made your vacuum cleaner made other things. Yep. But that's changed a lot, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about how that kind of initial intrigue that was sparked by taking your, yeah. your vacuum cleaner for a service morphed into you being the UK and Ireland distributor for Thermomix for quite some time. Well, um, I was I was a Thermomix um, advisor for four mm-hmm. years back then. And um, uh, then there came a point where Vorwerk was looking to appoint a distributor in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first we didn't think that we could do it. Our kids were teenagers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we knew it would take a lot of time and effort, mm-hmm. but then nobody else was stepping up and we eventually <laughs> decided that Love we that. had to. And uh, so, might be in, us then. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in 2005, we, um, we started the, the TM31 in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the model back then and stayed uh, being the the official distributor for 10 years. Gosh, 10 years. I hadn't realised yeah. it was quite as long as that. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So, I mean, I got to meet you early in that, in that journey um, and you had and have had some incredible experiences. I know some of the people that you met, et cetera, over the course of that time and continue to meet. But what would you say are your proudest achievements in that role? Um, I think... It took us quite a while to come up with our um, vision mm. for the company, but our vision was um, a nation that eats well and cooks with joy. Okay, love it. And um, and yeah. to see people from a disabled lady who was in a wheelchair who couldn't cook anymore because she couldn't reach the countertop, Wow, yeah. getting a Thermomix mm-hmm. and literally sending us a picture of herself and writing a letter saying, I can cook again because I have my Thermomix on a little table at my height beside me and my husband gives me the ingredients. I can prepare them and cook them. She said, I've got my 
independence back yeah, in the kitchen. Wonderful. So from her to the three Michelin star chefs mm. that I met mm. and everybody in between, mm. lots of local families, um, people all over the UK and Ireland. Mm-hmm. I've had so much fun meeting people. And you've really, you know, sort of like say empowered people, but it, it's back to that teaching role, isn't it? Yeah. In, in a sense, yeah. you're basically using, yeah. you know, this fantastic bit of kit, which is, you know, well engineered to say the least, but it's a facilitator. It's about what it's going to do to someone's life to empower them to make their life better. Yes. So you, you've yeah. got cases of people who are disabled who've been able to use it. Um, there have been, I know when I've uh, worked with families that have uh, dyspraxia, and uh, within within the family or a family member, it can be really helpful for that situation as well. Um, but also, you've met some very interesting people. Do you want to uh, tell us a few of the people? I don't mind a few name names dropped left, right, and centre. <laughs> um, who have you enjoyed meeting the most, and why? Um, I think uh, Al Aru mm. and his dad Michel, um, uh, and uh, Albert Aru. Mm. Wow. Who, yeah. Um, was very funny. Um, Ella um, is a very gentle gentleman, mm-hmm. and um, and so we've enjoyed our friendship with him over the years. Yeah, and uh, uh, we're just about to go to the waterside in soon, so I'm oh, very excited. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's really it did close for a while, didn't it? The waterside in. I think is it now back open again? I think there was a, a COVID issue for a period of time and. Uh, back on track okay well that that's great yeah I mean that but but talking of of that level of cooking I mean Mm. you know here we're talking about you you said by your own admission you know you're not somebody that was trained as a chef but you feel that you are a great teacher how did you manage to learn how you were going to work with these you know Michelin star chefs to facilitate their cooking I guess what I did was I would, I created a very, very simple little um, demonstration that would take me about 40 minutes to go through with showing them the functionality Mm. of what a Thermomix could do. Mm -hmm. And then saying to them, can you see how, you know, what sort of ways can you see that you would use it in your kitchen? Mm. And um, there's all sorts of different responses and of course, I was learning all the time. I yeah, love yeah. learning. Listen, I'm a listen. lifelong <laughs> learner and very curious. And so I was always learning. So one of the earliest things that um, that a chef told me uh, was he said, okay, well, we make a chicken pate mm. and we trim all the ex- extras off the sides of the chicken breast before we puree it mm-hmm. and we can't get it very smooth so we have to chuck all those extra bits away and I said to him if you could use them would it save you some money and he said yes but he didn't think that it was possible okay so I said well let's try it so that was the sort of thing that I would mm. do and um, you know you've just chatted with Tom Carriage, yeah and I can remember going into his kitchen and um, and his uh, head chef at the time saying to me um, well We've got two things and the Thermomix can't do it. And I said, okay, well, let's just try it. Mm. And I showed them how to do both. Wow. Um, And it was just little tweaks and little tricks that I've picked up over the course of time. Um, And it saved them masses Mm. of amounts of chef time, but also gave them the result that they want. And one of them was a pureed um, 
I'm talking about purees here, but that's not the only thing. But yeah, chefs yeah. like to do their purees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and one of them was red, yellow, and orange peppers that had been roasted, but they wanted to blend them with the skins, and of course that's quite difficult to yeah, do. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And uh, and so I showed them how they could do that and make a very beautiful silky puree, and they were delighted. And the skins are, you know, yeah. part of the nutrition exactly. of a vegetable. Exactly, we need to keep those on so that we have a more balanced meal. But yeah, mm. I understand from a textural perspective, you know, when we go yeah. to a Michelin-style restaurant or we yeah. go to a posh restaurant, we expect certain textures. Yeah. But if you can achieve that and it's not at the cost yes. of the nutrient value, that's even better, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, what was I, I'm fascinated by this because, I mean, you know, one of the reasons, I think when you can cook, and, uh, you know, you learn to cook yourself. I know there's a bit of a thing that goes around the internet. Oh, we're not going to go out to eat tonight because actually we can cook better at home, you know. But one of the things that I would pay for is is that kind of level of cooking where someone's gone to the nth degree. Yeah. But but really what we know is what's going on in the kitchen, thanks to the things that you've worked with the chefs on and others like you, they are still cutting corners, <laughs> you know. I mean, not cutting corners as in taking a process out, but making a hollandaise, for example. You know, it's a lot quicker, isn't it, when you use this particular bit of kit? Oh, absolutely. You, it, can, you can have hollandaise with your poached eggs for breakfast at home now. Yeah, at home. <laughs> I know, and that's just the thing, right? So, like, you know, we want to, we, we're not taking the magic away, but making no. it easier for yeah. even that level of cooking. So was there one thing that you felt, you know, even you had an oh, wow moment, where the, the brain of the, the Michelin star chef and, and the brain of Janie Turner met and you, and you went, right, well, hold on. They want to create this. And I've brought this and together we've created, you know, this greater than the sum of the parts. Can you think of any situations like, like that? I'm just thinking, hmm. you know, that kind of level of cooking that we expect, but you've just made it possible for them in ah. seconds. <laughs> well, I can tell you, um, uh, I'll tell you two things. One was my personal experience of Thermomix in the early days, mm-hmm. if I could, if I had, say, an hour and a half to two hours to create a three-course dinner, mm. I might be able to do two or three recipes. Yeah. And that would be it because that takes so much time. Mm. And um, and what I found with the Thermomix was all of a sudden I could do four to six recipes in the same amount of time, which meant I had more fun. <laughs> and it made you look great. <clears throat> oh, absolutely, <laughs> yes. What a but it made, the it made dinner and um, creativity and enjoyment mm. much greater. And, of course, you're getting more nutritional variety because you're getting many more things yeah. In your meals. Yeah, yeah. In variety. terms of recipes and variety. Yeah. So that was useful for the chefs too, because they could see that they could save time and get the excellent results. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember talking to a chocolatier who said that um, he could he could envisage doing a particular center with something that was very, 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 very hard mm-hmm. um, to get fine enough to be worth the time. Okay, yeah. So he'd sort of chucked out the idea um, before, and all of a sudden it became a potential. So you inspired so, the creativity. Yes. So they, 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 yes. They, or allowed the creativity yeah. To, to, yeah. to manifest, and that was, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's winning, isn't it, for them? Yeah, absolutely. This is fascinating. Can't, can't <laughs> wait to find out more. Um, so let's take a, a short break here, but I'd love to find out a little bit about the books you've written, uh, you know, why you've written them and, and the passion behind them. So let's just take a brief moment. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. 
Welcome back to this show, Let's Do Lunch. I'm Jenny Tishi, your host, and today I'm joined by Janie Turner, who is a cookbook author and thermomix expert. So many other strings to her bow, and we're just discovering them. Uh, so, Janie, tell me a little bit about the, the cookbooks you've written. Uh, I'm sure our listeners would love to know, you know what they are and why, why you've written them, because I know there's stories behind, behind each of them. Well, the first one was called Fast and Easy Cooking. Mm -hmm. That was the one that I presented to you when when I came to your house way back when, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah. And that was 300 recipes, no pictures. Wow. In order to have, I mean, I couldn't resist the opportunity to do 300 recipes worth of teaching. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Get it out there. (laughs) Help people. Uh, So that was was great fun and people still love that Mm. today. Uh, That was created out of years and years and years of making different things every day, like Mm. I said. Mm. And um, my husband, John, used to say for the first 11 years that we were married, he never got the same meal twice. (laughs) 11 years. (laughs) And uh, and so I was always being creative or tweaking things. And it was really only when the children got old enough to insist that they wanted their favorites. Mm -hmm. And I had to start writing things down because they would want something the same. (laughs) At least twice, Mom. yes. <laughs> so I used to keep a notebook, but um, in my kitchen and just mm. write things down. If they liked it, I'd sort of jot down what I had done and what mm. I had used, and hopefully remember it all after dinner. And uh, so then I gradually started writing things down as I was cooking, and that became the basis of that. Um, the three hundred, the three hundred recipes. Oh, that's yeah. quite something, isn't it? Three hundred. Yeah. Well yeah. done, yeah. fantastic. Um, We'll talk about John in a minute, actually, because I'd love to know a little bit about, you know, his role in, in all of this, other than tasting, clearly, an important yes. role. Oh, play. that's his major role. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> so, and the other books um, that you've written or been involved in. Well, yeah, the other, the other books, uh, the next one was um, Recipes from Our Demonstrators. Mm-hmm. Um, that was called Demonstrator Delights. And, uh, and so I edited that. Um, edited the recipes as well to make them really easy to follow. Um, that was two or three editions of that one. Um, and then there was uh, Fast and Easy Indian Cooking. Yes, I remember and that. That was very delicious. Three years' work with my co-author, Rosie Lalji. Mm-hmm. Um, we both had been, I mean, she had been cooking Indian food all her life. I'd been cooking it for 30 years by then. And we wanted to make... Indian cooking, which usually is a bit scary when you mm. first start, um, much more accessible to people. Yeah. And yeah. so that's why we wrote that book. It, it, you know, you're spot on, I think, the, the, that issue that I think many a cook, and particularly in this country, has with different ways of cooking. If you're lucky, you've, you've taken something from the way in which your parents cooked, but we'll all have experience of that not being probably as diverse as we what we have available to us today and then this option to be able to create wonderful things you know from mm-hmm. other parts of the world yes but to your point a little bit scary because you know yes yep. you can buy spices that are already mixed but what if even better you can make your own spice mix and actually you know how those profiles yes. work and what works yep. together yeah so there's an element of that that's sort of demystifying within that book so it's not just yes. the speed and it's not just the fact that it's easy it's the fact yep. that you're Again, it's the education. It all comes back to the same thing, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's um uh and those recipes are very authentic. Mm. And I'm very delighted that um there are hundreds of my recipes on Cookie Do, the Forward internationally ah, yes. uh, international recipe platform. Um they've been tweaked to 
whatever their recipe developer's taste was when they put that recipe up. Yeah. But that's perfectly fine. Mm. Um, the Indian recipes in my book are just stunningly delicious because they're so authentic with Rosie's input. Yeah. Um, so that's really wonderful. Um, and then the next book was I Love Chocolate, I Love Thermomix. Yeah, got that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's um also rather del- delicious. A friend of mine actually said when she saw the first copy of the book and it was put in her hands, she said, oh, my gosh, Janie, you know when a cookbook's good, when you want to lick the pages because they're so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> she had tasted a lot of the um, oh, recipe testing yeah, along the way. Does, so yeah, she, nice she job knew. to have. Yeah, I bet you get quite a few people uh, offering to do that, don't you? Oh, yes. Yeah, I'll be yeah. your taste tester. <laughs> I, w- I wish I'd known you earlier on. I would have been happily your, your taste tester for any of those. But it's, uh, yeah, wonderful. So, um, and, and which one would you say is your favourite of all of those? Or are they, is it like children, you can't say? Yeah, no, I don't <laughs> think I can say, actually. I think um, one of the things that to me is really important is that, um, and my uh, rationale at the moment and what's on my website mm. Um, is real food made easy. Mm. And with a Thermomix, that helps, of course. But you can just make real food. Mm. And most people who know how to cook would be able to look at any of my Thermomix recipes and Mm. make them even without a Thermomix. Mm. might take them longer. Yeah. But that's all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And the whole idea of real food is that you can have something that's delicious, like one of the recipes from the chocolate book. Mm -hmm. And if it's made with real ingredients, your body knows what to do with it. Yeah. And it isn't going to give you a whole bunch of artificial anythings. Mm-hmm. And therefore you can you can digest it and Absolutely. and your body can use it and it can actually nourish you. Yeah. And I know nutritionists are called nutritionists. I almost think, Jenny, you should be called a nourishist. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is about things that can actually add value yeah. to the human body yeah. to the health of the human body both yeah. physical and mental yes um rather than detract I, that's exactly how i see it if it's something that's real and natural yeah if you, you yeah. can add to the body's um well-being obviously yes. there's certain things that can trigger people and and you need yeah. to be aware of that yeah. but it's a great start isn't it to yes. be able to put things into the body that are actually real yes yeah. <laughs> I, I love um the food philosopher michael pollan P-O-L-L-A-N, if anybody's interested. He has some great statements to make around food and some fantastic books as well. Um, So tell me a little bit now about where you are. You're you're no longer the UK and Ireland distributor for Thermomix, but you are still involved, aren't you? Well, we retired um, back in 2015, 2016, um, and went travelling. Oh, wow. Actually went to India, which was wonderful. (laughs) We loved that. Yeah, Yeah, we went travelling for quite a long time. And then we came back, and in 2019... Um, I heard that there was going to be a new Thermomix model. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine who was still involved brought it over to my house and I, I gave it a try and thought, mm, I think Peaked I really want interest. one of these. <laughs> and I still had lots of people calling me and saying, do you know anybody that you could recommend so I can get a Thermomix? And mm. so I was passing on leads all the time and mm. I just thought, well, maybe I'll just do it myself again and just have some fun this time instead yeah. of being responsible at the top. Yeah, nice. And so that's what I do. And I love the opportunity to share my expertise and, again, mm. meet people where they are and help them see if, mm. if that could be useful for them in their kitchens. 
Yeah, that's lovely, isn't it? Because you've got so much experience now. You can really, really work out the starting point, but also how to get somebody from where they are to where yes. they probably really want to be, you yeah. know, whatever their objective yeah. is. So how would you uh, describe your philosophy around cooking and your, and your style of cooking today? How would you describe that or define that? Well, that's quite interesting because that's really been, you know, when you asked me about doing this show today, mm. um, you said it's really about your food journey, your yeah. personal journey with food. And I grew up with um, a little bit of butter, but mostly margarine, mm. white everything. So white pasta, white sugar, white flour. Oh, actually, that's not quite true because mom started making some beautiful whole meal bread that we named after her. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was fabulous. It was that good. Yeah, it was that good. Um, and uh, um, But just sort of that was my childhood and yeah. um I didn't, I didn't know anything else, and I fed my kids with a lot of homemade stuff with white everything at mm. the beginning, and gradually moved on, mm. as I said, to understand oh, maybe I should be keeping the skins on the carrots, yeah, and um, maybe I should be eating butter instead of margarine. So, mm. um, you know, maybe I should be changing to just olive oil and coconut oil instead of all these refined oils. Yeah. Each one of these things was a little tiny step. I didn't get to where I am now by doing a giant leap and going through my pantry cupboards like some people can do. I'm, yeah. I'm just blown away if, to even hear about it every once in a while. But some people go through their cupboards and they throw away everything with an artificial ingredient mm. and they just jump two feet into, I mean, both feet, yeah. into <laughs> a new style of cooking and living and eating. And for me, it was very much a journey. Mm. And now um, I love to prepare my food for my family, ourselves, with um, nourishing traditions. Mm. Learned about, a lot about that yeah. from the book called Nourishing Traditions by Sally Fallon. Mm. Um, you and another nutritionist, Cindy mm -hmm. O'Meara, really inspired me to look at what's in food yeah. and um, start understanding what those things are. Like natural flavorings aren't natural. Yeah, yeah, and and so it sounds like it is, but there's no legal definition of the world of the word natural. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've I've got to a point now where I um, prepare my food what I consider to be properly. <laughs> and if you want to ask me about that, then just feel free to ask me about that or whatever. But um, there's there's lots of things that I do. I've brought you a jar of pickles. I'm so excited by these. So here we've got cucumber and celery pickles. Want to tell me a little bit about, you know, I mean, to, to, to see pickles, I mean, we're talking almost like full circle when it comes to traditional ways of preparing yeah. foods. Yeah. That white refined, let's call it period of time, yes. the margarine period of time. I hope yeah. it is over. We yeah. know some people still believe that those things are better in some yes. cases. But tell me a little bit about how you got into pickles and fermented foods. I know you do those as yeah, well, don't you? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I started with yogurt, not even knowing that that was a fermented food, really. Yeah. So I've been making yogurt since I was probably, I don't know, mid-20s or something like that. And just thought that, that was normal that everybody would have a yogurt machine and make your mm -hmm. own yogurt. Um, and, uh, and then I started probably maybe at the beginning of lockdown, I really, really, I had made sauerkraut, I'd made sourdough bread, I'd um, done quite a lot of those kinds of things before, but only sort of jumping in and out. Uh, before I, they were trendy. Yeah, before yeah. they were trendy. 
And um, I didn't really even pay much attention to it. I certainly didn't deliberately go to do those things for a health reason. I just did it because they taste good. Mm. And I discovered cultured butter, um, creme fraiche, mm, you know, all these yummy mm. things. I found out that James Martin actually was right all those years that he used butter in everything in generous quantities. <laughs> Well done, James. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, so I, I got into pickles. Now, just about every vegetable that comes into my house, I've tried pickling. Wow. Ex- except lettuces. Okay. <laughs> any, any sort of things that have surprised you as to how delicious they are once pickled? Uh, well, pickled cucumbers. Mm. And I get every couple of weeks in my veggie box, I get baby cucumbers. And I immediately turn them into pickled cucumbers if my three-year-old grandson hasn't eaten eaten them all for his fresh and uh that's wonderful news so to these ones are cut up pieces of pickle and i had some celery to use up that was mm-hmm. still in really good condition so i put it in a jar um this is a half liter jar and i put it in a jar with two level teaspoons of fine himalayan salt mm-hmm. although you could use fine sea salt that's the real stuff you know I'm sure you're going to ask me about yeah, that yeah. too. Um, and uh, and then just cover it with water and put a little weight on the top to keep it under the surface of what becomes a brine. Yeah. That yeah. sits on my counter for two or three days. Then it goes in the fridge and you can start eating it right mm-hmm. away. But if you can manage to, what I've done now is I've got enough pickles and ferments in my fridge that I can eat the ones that are slightly older. Yeah. And I think the, the flavor gets better. It's not so in your face. Mm. And so people like it more. And I love the fact that, you know, we just referred to it, but it, but it's such an old-fashioned technique. Yeah. And you know, people had to do that to preserve yes. food that was out, you know, when we were going into the hunger gap or we're out yes. of the season of certain other vegetables, we yeah. would have to preserve things. Yeah. That's a great way of doing it, isn't it? Yeah, and it takes moments. Yeah. And there's several um, fermented recipes on my website too if people want to have a, a look. Have a videos. play, yeah, because I, I think it can be quite overwhelming for some when we talk about introducing, you know, fermented foods. And because of the food culture, excuse the pun, but that yeah. we have, <laughs> people want to be able to buy it, you know. Yes. But actually, yeah. to your point, you could make things so, so simply at home. Yeah. Yes, we can, we can buy yogurt, yeah. Very yeah. easy. I mean, they're yeah. easy to make yogurt as well. But, you know, there are so many of these sorts of things. And reducing food waste, which is a huge yes. issue right now. Yes. You mentioned you're having your celery that you yeah. had left. Well, just pickle it. Yeah. Fermented. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about salt. Um, I would love to know. So you mentioned when we were talking about the show today um, that you have made some discoveries surrounding salt. So tell me a little bit about that. I'm intrigued. Well, I grew up um, with a lot of allergies. Mm-hmm. Um Certainly around. I can remember having them around sort of 10, 11, 12. Okay. Sneezing all the time, like literally all the time so I couldn't catch my breath. That's debilitating. I have an allergy to certain pets and I know it can be exhausting. So Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, um, I read, I happened to pick up a book that sort of um, didn't appeal to my um, head. You know, sometimes you see something and you think, oh, maybe I should read that. Mm. And it's kind of your instinct. I didn't know anything about instinct at that point in time, but I picked up the book and it was called Your Body's Many Cries for Water. And it's by um, somebody called Dr. Batman Gellage. Wow, there's so, name. <laughs> I know. If you remember Dr. Batman, <laughs> you'll find it on yeah, Amazon. I'm remembering it already. <laughs> and um, and uh, he wrote about the fact that we need water and we need salt. Yeah. And because he came from a hot country, 
um, he knew that when you got dehydrated because it was hot, Mm -hmm. you had to have salt. It was just normal, natural um, understanding. So he sort of set out um, a way of taking the right amount of water for you and the right amount of good natural salt with Mm -hmm. all of its natural minerals, um, the right amount in proportion to that amount of water. That fixed my hay fever. Oh, my golly. Yeah. Wow. So... yeah. And it was only salt. We weren't looking at any other electrolyte imbalance here. It was just salt that you were looking at. I don't know, because yeah. nobody had ever tested me for electrolyte imbalances. Wow. But I probably was dehydrated at that mm. point in my life. Yeah. And when you have that little bit of salt, even if you put the tiniest pinch of mm. good salt into your pint of water, mm. um, you won't taste it because it's so tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, but that actually sends your brain the message that this water is safe yeah. to take into your cells. So you actually you actually use it properly in your body, and that obviously sorted me out. The other thing, <laughs> alongside that, because I got asked a very sort of similar question around, you know, should we be eating less salt? Should we be eating, you know, are we eating too much salt? Basically, and you know, the uh, the point I was making yesterday in the, this well being event was that if you were to um, make food from scratch it's actually very difficult to add too much salt. It, it's when we start buying things that have been deliberately manufactured with the salt-sugar-fat combination that makes yeah. us want to, once we put, we just can't stop, keep eating the same yes. food over and over. That's the issue. That's why we yeah. tend to consume too many salty things or too much yeah. sodium in our diet. It's quite difficult to do if you're preparing food from scratch, isn't it? Yes. And I've heard, I've heard some people say it's impossible to overeat real salt. Mm. Your body will make you stop. Which is great because that's quite freeing. Yeah, and yeah, when you're yeah. looking at fermented foods, yeah, you know you, you don't want to be scared of putting the salt in mm. because it's needed and your body needs it. I I did twenty years with no salt except for I would put a teaspoon and a loaf of bread. Yeah, I'd cook rice and porridge with it, and there was one other thing, and I can't remember what that was, but four things literally that I did salt with, and I fed my family that way Mm. and it took me a while to sort of work up to enjoying the flavor of salt after Mm -hmm. all that time but I was desperate I had got to the point where for two years my body was making me eat two packets of ready salted crisps oh god every single day because I had no control over that Mm. I had to have the salt and I didn't know why Gosh. Um, it was just a secret addiction. Fascinating. And as soon as I started doing the water and salt, yeah, so that w- stopped. Okay, so the, and, the, and the water part of your sort of hydration. I think that's also, um, you know, if we go back to your childhood, certainly, you know, I, I know my parents didn't drink anywhere near as much water as I drink. I'm yes. So, so yeah. I'm obsessive about it, but I, I drink yeah. a lot of water, a huge amount by comparison to even some of my peers, but that's yes. certainly my parents. By comparison, yeah. they think I'm a bit odd. Yeah, and um, our grandparents' generation yeah. came from their parents not having safe water to drink. So they only drank boiled water. Mm. So it was tea. limited. Ah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. we're diuretic. British, so yes. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not, not a good combination. Yeah. Now, this is fascinating. Well, let, let's take a brief pause. Um, and when we come back, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about uh, your real gluten-free way of eating because I think that's a fascinating area to delve into as well. We'll be back in just a moment. Windsor, Windsor, Ascot, Ascot, Maidenhead, Maidenhead, Bracknell, Bracknell, Wokingham, Wokingham, Henley, Henley, 
Reading. Reading. Okay. Ta-da. The voice. River Radio. Of the ten. Welcome back to the show. Let's do lunch. This is a show all about food and nutrition. And today I'm joined by Janie Turner, who is a cookbook author and thermix expert, a motivational speaker, runs cooking classes, you name it, she does it. We are delving deep into uh, Janie's sort of food philosophy and also the way in which she helps others understand a better way of eating. Um, she's a natural teacher, educator, um, and one of the areas that I'd love to, to find out a little bit more about Janie is uh, real food gluten-free so by this we mean not buying you know sort of commercial gluten-free products but those that you can create really easily yourself can you share with me um your reasons for moving to that way of eating especially when we think about your childhood growing up sort of white refined um products and also you know your favorite things to cook that are naturally gluten-free well i'll answer the second one first and um uh Basically, I've been doing this for about seven years now, mm-hmm. six or seven years now. Um, so it's um, my favorite things to cook gluten-free is everything. Everything. So mm. all my recipes except one on my website are all gluten-free. What's um, the exception? I'm intrigued now. <laughs> uh, cinnamon buns. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, I do have a gluten-free version, but I didn't put it up at the yeah. time because it was one of my very, very earliest re- recipes and we thought that might be a bit confusing to people of course at that time mm. but of course it wouldn't be now yeah uh, people don't even know that when they go to my recipes they have no idea unless they look at the little notes at the bottom mm. that that it happens to be gluten-free because my recipes just happen to be gluten-free now which actually is the best way isn't it it's if they nice are and easy. already you know yeah. if you're somebody that can't have gluten is avoiding yeah. gluten yeah for many good reasons, and we can talk about that. But, you know, to actually have just real food often doesn't contain gluten. Yes. So, yeah. so what, were your, what were your reasons for, you know, wanting to move to that way of, of eating? It sounds like it's part of your education and part of your journey, but uh, I'd love to know more. Well, I knew about the idea of gluten-free. Mm-hmm. I also knew about dairy-free. I'd talked to hundreds and thousands of people over the course of my years talking about food and cooking with Thermomix and also just generally in life. Mm -hmm. But it was nothing to do with my childhood. Okay. (laughs) Nothing to do with refined or what. But um, I, in 2015, I had a melanoma. Okay. And uh, had that removed surgically, didn't need any other treatment. Good. And, um, but it, you know, when you face a cancer diagnosis, you are given a slap on the face. Yeah. And either you turn around and put your back to it and, live your life exactly Mm. as you always have done. On the other hand, I started picking up books and reading and finding out a bit more and um, looking at what could I do to support my new journey in life, Mm -hmm. which didn't want to include melanoma anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Or anything else. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That um, one's off the list, but so are you, you and you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I tried dairy-free. I did dairy-free for um, about three months, and I did cashew milk for about four years, three Which or four delicious. years. It's so good. Mm. But then I've gone back to real raw milk mm. now. So, um, and you've heard me talking about butter, and yeah. we love cheese. <laughs> So all kinds of cheeses, um, and I make a lot of them too, which is great fun. Yum. And uh, but that's maybe another podcast. Yeah, <laughs> all about cheese. <laughs> we could talk about cheese and eat cheese for well over an hour. Ooh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so um, 
the following year, I decided I would try gluten-free, mm-hmm. um, just to try it. And so I gave it a, a go for six months. It drove me nuts that I couldn't buy anything very easily. It was difficult to eat out. Um, you didn't ever really trust um, what you were getting when you were eating out. Yeah. Um, so luckily, I actually could figure out how to cook gluten-free. There are lots of other people uh, posting recipes. Um, I bought lots of books, recipe books and other books about how to do it and whatever. A lot of them actually have artificial ingredients. Yes, yeah. Binders and thickeners. And And so I've learned gradually how to do things really well. I invented um, the day before yesterday a gluten-free almond biscotti. Oh, wow. Which is delicious. So I'm really excited about that one. And uh, we've been eating our way through them with more than just our coffee. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> like any, any other excuse to pick one up as you yeah. walk by. Oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> we happen to be by them again. Yeah. They sound wonderful. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, so that's, been, that's been really interesting. I've actually um, got to the point now, uh, and I got into sourdough bread as well. Yeah. I mentioned that I was making it before it was trendy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I realized with my sourdough starter discard, and remember, these are all little wee steps. Please don't be overwhelmed by me saying this to you all, lovely listeners. Um, because what I, what I found with my sourdough discord is I could use that to raise my cakes, yeah. my cookies, my biscuits, um, crackers, uh, anything else that I wanted to cook or bake. That's such use a it. revelation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And the sourdough starter was flour that had been soaked for at least six hours because it had been sitting in that jar and I could use that to thicken my gravies. Do you know what I know you're saying to people don't be overwhelmed by the fact that it sounds like you went from A to Z and you didn't you went through the whole alphabet to get to Z. Yes twice. The point is that people don't have to because they can find out how how you did it and and actually in a way you can help people get there a lot well you can you can help people get there a lot more quickly can't yes. you more simply yeah. yeah um and that's part of why yeah who you are as a person yes. that that enables that you're an enabler yeah. that's yes. what you are yeah exactly so so you found for you that first initial period of becoming gluten-free was difficult yeah more so from the perspective of eating out but by necessity therefore you designed a lot more to eat in yes yeah. do you feel more confident eating out now or do you still feel this yeah, you do it's got better yeah. yeah well it's got completely better actually um, I found out when I went gluten-free that if I did accidentally eat gluten, it really, really upset me. Interesting, isn't it? And, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, to the point of being in agony pain with mm. um, abdominal gas that w- I had to lie on my belly for four hours or five hours after each exposure. Wow. Accidental <laughs> exposure. And obviously I'd been... Um, I've had I'd had a tolerance built up to feeling like that that I didn't know that I felt like that but it mm. was when I was off it and then went back to it. And just this week I had two slices of sourdough bread with no reaction sourdough wheat uh-huh. bread uh-huh. and I've been taking some homeopathy and yeah. completely got rid of that gluten intolerance. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. But also with sourdough we know that the fermentation process yes. vastly reduces the amount of gluten yes. in it. So yeah, exactly. it's always a wiser choice if you're somebody yeah. that has previously had a reaction to it. Yeah. 
Wow, interesting. So um, we're going to move on here to a little bit around your your family. Like I know John, your husband yep. has been closely involved in yep. this whole journey. Is he a foodie? Would we describe John as a foodie, or is he somebody that's become a foodie? Ah, uh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> He knows a lot about food. Mm-hmm. He can follow any recipe. Great. And um, he's been my best inspirer, motivator, mm-hmm. um, manager, um, encourager, and just sort of um, very practical. Yeah. So all my creative wildness. And, yeah, yeah, you're and balanced. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> yes, he balances me. Yes. And the kids have been involved at various stages as well, yes. haven't they? But I know yeah. one of the things that you're really proud of is how well-informed and knowledgeable they all are around yeah. cooking and making their own food choices. I know there are people listening that would love your advice on this, given that they're all off out in the world now and they're doing their own thing. And you told me just before we went live that one of your sons is already running his own sourdough bakery in Australia. Yeah. So, so any advice that you can offer the listeners on, on how that can be achieved, you know, how people can encourage other family members to get more involved in the world of food? Um, well, do what my mum did, you know, let yes. your kids come into the kitchen, let them um, wash up with the washing up basin and an inch of water on the kitchen floor and then mop it up. Love that. Um, uh, you know, when they're two, yeah. uh, get them, you know, get their love to do what you do mm. and uh, just let them try things and, and kids are much more likely to eat things if they've helped. Yeah. That's really important. And, you know, if you make bread and you let them play with a bit of the dough until it turns grey, they'll probably still eat it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they'll be okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so just get them involved and, um, and, and then encourage them and let them be the boss in their own kitchen space, although my kids would argue with me that I don't do that very well. <laughs> You know, I, however much I think we think, it, you know, we're giving them their own, you know, jurisdiction and then control over what they do, they'll still com- complain that yeah. they don't have enough autonomy. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. You know, we don't have the biggest kitchen and sometimes it's just like, could you just let me get on with it? But still, you know, it's important to allow them to be empowered. Yes. So what are the kids up to now? Uh, you mentioned your son's got this bakery. Yep. Whereabouts is that? That's um, on the Sunshine Coast. Yeah. just about an hour north of Brisbane mm-hmm. and it's called Sunshine Coast Sourdough Co. If Perfect. anybody wants to look them up, if yeah. you happen to be listening and you're down there, oh my gosh, he gets wonderful compliments on his bread and I'm not surprised I have had it in the past. Oh, it was the, it, it, his six years of developing his sourdough skills came at the same time as my six years of gluten-free, uh-huh. which was extraordinarily difficult. Yeah, I bet. Um, and the only times I made exception, knowing exceptions, mm-hmm. was to eat his sourdough bread. Oh wow, so. that's love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and your other children, they're they're enjoying food and the yes. autonomy of cooking. Yes, I've already got a grandchild. So yeah, sounds three like three grandchildren. Yes, yeah. Brilliant. Sounds yeah, like and they're they, eating and well the two well. older ones love love um, cooking and. Fantastic. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, they they're pretty good at eating too. Mm, that's good. Yeah. So. Um, We've talked about a lot and a lot about what you do. I mean, your day-to-day kind of work and life is around teaching. It's around the cooking classes, uh, etc. If people want to learn more from you, where mm-hmm. would they go and find out more about what you're up to and, and how they can benefit from what you do? Um, I have a website mm-hmm. called cookwithjanie.com. That's J-A-N-I-E. 
and um, and that's got lots of my recipes. It tells a bit of my of my story. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you've read it, Jenny. Yes. You're grinning at me. <laughs> and uh, I also, at the beginning of lockdown, went on Facebook with live videos and did well, I don't know fifty or sixty live videos just. Gosh. Helping, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of work, yeah. and um, and just helping people use what they have mm-hmm. and learn how to substitute ingredients, how to make things taste delicious with what you happen to have on hand. Yeah, um, I made a barbecue sauce, which has since become our favorite version of that recipe. Used marmalade instead of whatever else it was in there that they that they had in the recipe. And it's just incredible. Some of the best recipes come about by accident, don't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've got um, people can go and engage with the Facebook yep. uh, videos. Yes. Um, uh, courses that you're running. How do people find out more about what they can do there? Um, I'm not running any regular ones right mm-hmm. now, but I do do private cooking classes. Okay. Um, and you can either get a set of four mm-hmm. or you can just do um, one-offs uh, and up to four people. Oh, and fantastic. On Zoom, usually. Yeah. And it's great fun. Yeah. Really great fun. Great. And you're on social media. Can you share your social media handles with us too? It's at Cook with Janie. Perfect. Nice and consistent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we're on to our quick fire questions. What would be your last meal on earth? We call it our death row meal, but I get told off sometimes for calling it that. <laughs> so what would be your last meal on earth, Janie? Well, I would like to have, I thought about this, a barbecued steak mm-hmm. with a jacket potato. Yeah. That's a baked potato if you're in Canada or the States. Yeah. <laughs> um, with lots of butter and real sour cream and some chopped up fresh chives from the garden. And a lovely salad from the garden as well, oh. with homemade dressing. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, be in control of the dressing. Um, is there a restaurant that you've not eaten at yet, but you would like to? I did think about this a lot. Um, there's a restaurant up in Scotland that John and I would love to go to. They have bothies, little, oh, yeah. little huts that you can stay in, and mm-hmm. it's called Inver Restaurant. Brilliant. It's way out in the middle of nowhere. And you want to go and stay there and probably yep. for more than just a night by the sound of it. You're yeah. going to go to the effort of going all the way up yeah. there. You want to yeah. stay there for a bit longer and appreciate yeah. the area. Um, who is your greatest inspiration? Uh, I was thinking about that. And aside from my personal faith in God, mm-hmm. um, I think that my greatest inspiration is probably um, John. Yeah. Because he just keeps me going mm. in life mm. and sharing my passion, yeah. which is wonderful. Yeah, incredible. That's a wonderful support, but also I'm sure you are likewise for him. Um, if you had a fantasy dinner party and invited three guests from the past or the present, who would they be and why? Well, I would like to invite Sally Fallon Morell. Yeah, because, the author of Nourishing Traditions. Yes, yeah. yes, because I have loads of questions I'd like to ask her personally. Um, I've been on courses and seen her speak and stuff. Yeah, But I think that she would be a very interesting dinner party guest. And both of my grandmothers. Oh, wow. Because they both passed away without me ever really knowing them as people. Mm. And um, I would really, really love to get to know them Yeah, and find out what they think about food. Oh, and can I have one more go person? Go on, go on. We'll stretch it. <laughs> My cookery teacher at school when I was 13. And oh, wow. I don't know her name. Mm-hmm. I tried to find out, but the school didn't keep records that long oh, ago. Oh, gosh. 
hard to believe. At least the school's still there. Yeah, uh, it is still know, there. Some yeah, people's yeah. schools don't even exist. I yeah. mean, mine does, luckily, but I know people yeah. that have, you know, their school's just gone. <laughs> but she was so inspiring and yeah. she shared from her heart freely all of her really, really good basic recipes. We're actually taught to cook, not mm-hmm. just to design cereal boxes. And But, but what comes then. across from that is that she loved teaching. Yes. So it sounds yeah. like you didn't just learn what you learn, you learn how as well. Oh, that's quite possible. I never thought of it that mm. way. Interesting, isn't yeah. it? I think sometimes if you yeah. are somebody that naturally wants to teach, yeah. there's often a teacher somewhere in your life yeah, that's inspired yeah, that yeah. within you or, or woken it up from yes. within you. Yeah. Janie Turner, thank you very much for your time today. It's been absolutely fascinating. We talked a little bit about your journey through Thermomix and how you sort of accidentally discovered it by your vacuum cleaner, which I think is a brilliant story in its own right. You know, who knows <laughs> what we're going to find in our lives when. Yep. And, you know, the whole question of whether it was the right right time for you to take on something and you didn't think it was but you felt that actually why don't we give it a go and it's turned out pretty well for you by the sense yes. of it so that yeah. that's wonderful but also I've really enjoyed finding out more about how you have moved through a, a way of eating now which so you seem to sort of have settled on which seems right a, a very real food way of eating it's a way yeah. to which yeah. I subscribe as well I think you know real food can you can you go wrong? You know, if, it's, yeah. if it if it comes from the ground or it's you know from a farm from it's from nature, um, you know how far wrong can we go? Now, people um, have been inspired, and I'm sure you have, by Janie and uh, her, what she's had to say today. Do go and check her out on at Cook with Janie, so on social media, so Instagram and Facebook. And then, if you want to go to her website, remind me of the website again. It's Cook. With it's Jane. Cook with Janie. Yeah. Dot com. Yeah. And go and find out. And of course, if you do want to, um, you know, get Janie on board to do some teaching, that is the best way to do it. She's fantastic. And I can say that from personal experience. Thank you everyone for listening today. Um, we very much welcome any reviews on this show. So if you go to Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcasts, do listen to previous recordings, listen to this one again, um, and do leave us a review. We're always very grateful for reviews. I hope you all have a wonderful lunch. And Let's Do Lunch is the name of the show. I'm Jenny Tishi. I'm your host. Uh, Take care, everyone, and uh, goodbye.